let's just be still in his presence for a moment and just honor who he is. I feel like I hear the Lord asking us and encouraging us to not grow weary. Regardless of what you see, regardless of what you hear, you were to guard our eyes, you were to guard our ears, you were to guard our heart. Don't grow weary because the battle has been won. The battle has been won. And as Peter says, don't think it's strange that we come across these fiery trials. Don't think it's strange. It's not strange. It's gone on from the beginning of time. But we are victorious and we are more than a conqueror. So don't be weary. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you, Lord. Well, I'm so excited. I could hardly wait to get here to start the series on Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. I love the book of Nehemiah. And when I read it this time, I felt like I had never read it before. <laughs> Does anybody else see? As we go through, we just finished it, uh, what, a week or last week, I guess. And we started the book of Esther. We finished that. Now we're into Job. But I felt like, I thought, gosh, Lord, how did I miss all this all these times? And I even did a series on Nehemiah back in 09. And I'm thinking, oh, this is, I felt the Lord encouraging me to start this series. And I thought, this would be a piece of cake. I'll just pull out my old series and doctor it up a little bit, you know, and, and not, that's not the way it works. So anyway, but God is so awesome and his word is so true. And I want you to, you've got to know the word in this day we are in. You've got to know the word. You're going to know a word, but whose is it going to be? Whose is it going to be? As, as Wayne made a comment, he says, we got more important things to do than be watching TV. Let me tell you, if you're filling your mind with Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and all the others, even some of the ones that are supposedly in the good camp, you got to be careful because you never know what the truth really is. You can find a point of view for anything you want to believe. What is God saying to you in this day that we're in? What is he saying? That's what we need to know, right? And so as I I heard this morning, as I mentioned to you, contend for the faith, I felt that there was such an urgency in this that we've got to, as the body of Christ, contend for the faith. And that word contend is the word that we get antagonized from. Antagonized. And it means to contend or to struggle. This is New Testament, by the way. This is not tiptoe through the tulips type thing. He, Jude was saying, actually, if you remember, he said, I really thought that I was going to talk to you about our glorious salvation, but instead I need to be telling you to contend or defend the faith. And so that's what we're, I think we're in that day right now. And I think it's a clear call for Ecclesia to arise and contend for the faith for this nation, for this nation. And there's demonic, humanistic, woke theologies being perpetrated, CRT in our schools, attempt to erase history. When we erase history, we erase God. That's why they want history erased. And instead of tearing down, we have to rebuild. So I thought, God, this is pretty cool the way this just slips right into my Nehemiah message. It's pretty good the way you did it. Because the book of Nehemiah is all about restoration and rebuilding. 
It's about the struggles that everybody goes through as they strive to accomplish their God-given assignments. How many of you know you have a God assignment? Anybody? If you don't, you know, you need to pray because God has given you an assignment. If nothing else, pray for this city. Pray for our schools. I've never seen so much confusion. God's not the author of confusion. We know that the enemy is witchcraft. And so God has given to us assignments in life. He's given to us roles. He's given to us destinies. And and I believe it's about the survival of God's plan for this city, for this nation, for your family, for our school system. In general, that's what that's where we are. That's why we can sing a hallelujah in the midst of all of this, because we know we win. Back in 2008, the Lord spoke to me and said the strategy for transformation will be found in the book of Nehemiah. And, and when he said that, I knew he meant for the city, but he also meant for us as individuals. The strategy for transformation, restoration, rebuilding your life will be found in the book of Nehemiah. It's a powerful book. And this I had forgotten until this week. In May of 2009, Barbara Wintrouble was here. And she spoke this word over us and over this church. This is for the whole church. And I'm just going to give you the first couple of paragraphs. And this is what the Lord said through Barbara. I'm putting the spirit of Nehemiah upon you. I say I am putting a Nehemiah anointing upon you to begin to change an entire city, says the Lord. For even Nehemiah was one. And all he saw was destruction and the devastation from the past. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and caused him to see beyond the present, to see what could be in the days ahead. And I'm saying I'm going to give you such prophetic eyes to be able to see what I want to do in this city, says the Lord. God says, know that I am going to cause you to look at all the gates of this city and you will see what happened at the gates of the city and you will understand how to rebuild and how to repair those gates, says the Lord. I say I'm going to give you such connections in these days, said the Lord, with government and with businesses in the city. And I had totally forgotten about that. I was just doing a little search on my hard drive for the Nehemiah. And this this is a powerful word for the day that we are in. It's an encouraging word. Now, this is totally 100% pure teaching today, okay? So you might, the, the notes are up on the website, but there's a lot to, there's a lot to gather. And I, it's to your benefit to hear this message today. It's to my benefit. So there are certain messages that come from this book of Nehemiah. And I call them spiritual life lessons. And this came out of the Nehemiah Bible commentary. The first lesson is there's no winning without working and warring. There's no winning without working and warring. Western Christianity has created a bunch of lazy Christians who just speak their way into prosperity, health, peace. Not right. Not possible. You can't speak away poverty and sickness unless you change your lifestyle. Scripture has got to get out of our head and into our heart. We have to mix our, our, our belief, our word with faith. I was having this conversation recently and we were talking about the difference between faith and belief. You know, I can believe in the scripture, but do I have faith in the scripture? See, I can believe and I can have a mental assent, but faith is what causes me to act on it. I can believe that it's okay for you to give your tithes and your offerings because that's what the word says, but do I have faith to act on it? See, there's a big difference, big difference. And that number two, there's no opportunity without opposition. These are simple life truths. There's no opportunity without, has anybody ever had an opportunity with no opposition? It probably wasn't from God if you did, (laughs) honestly. Probably was not from God if you did. Number three, 
There's no triumph without trouble. There's no triumph without trouble. And the word triumph in the, in the Merriam-Webster the, the, uh, Dictionary says it's a successful result brought about by hard work. It's a successful result brought about by hard work. That's what a triumph is. Number four, there's no victory without vigilance. Vigilance, that perseverance. You've got to keep in. You've got to keep you're at the game. Number five, there's no open door without adversaries. Open doors are ways of favor. Let me tell you, the enemy's not going to let you walk through a door unscathed. He's going to be at you. He's going to be speaking to you. He's going to be throwing obstacles in your pathway. And number six, there's a cross in the way of every crown that is worth wearing. There's a cross in the way. The cross is the price of the crown. We have to first take up our cross. Jesus bore the cross for us. But now he says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your own cross. And if you don't, you're not worthy to be called my disciple. The cross is this question. Will we pay the price for the crown? Will we lay aside our sin? Will we lay aside our heart's idolatries? Will we lay aside self? Will we lay aside self? Personal transformation has to take place before the crown of victory can be enjoyed and worn. These people that are winning these gold medals on the Olympics, do you think they just got up there for the first time and ran that that day? No. Years and years of dedication of putting aside their own pleasures, of, of, of beating the flesh in shape. Why do we think it would be any different in our spiritual walk? So as we look in Nehemiah, verse 1, you know, I'm, now this is for all us nerdy people. We like this kind of thing, me and Dan. I don't know, probably a few other using you in here. We love it, but I love it when the Lord says, I want you to go back and look at all the words because the Hebrew, I believe, is the language of God. I really believe Hebrew is the language of God. I'm telling you, my first class in Hebrew at Gordon-Conwell, I, I was so moved by it. I, I mean, then you're talking about we're just learning our alphabet. And I email my professor and I say, there's something about this language. I feel the presence of God just doing the alphabet. And he said, not everybody sees that. He said, but I so agree. And it's, it's just like you could feel the presence of God through it all. So as we look at these words, and I, and I just the Lord just had me hang out on this for a while. And I actually saw this in 09 when I did it, but not to this degree, not to this level. I even added some things. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah. Now, we know Judah means praise, right? So let's just look at what these proper nouns and these numbers, that's where the Holy Spirit really drove, drove me to. The word Nehemiah means Jehovah comforts. Jehovah comforts. The word Hakaliah means Jehovah enlightens. The name Susa literally means lily, but if you get into the theological word book of the Old Testament, it breaks it apart to what it really means. It means restoration and abundance after repentance. It means beauty. Hanani means gracious. Kislev is the ninth month, and the number nine is a number of finality and judgment. And the 20th year, number 20, is the number 20 means expectation. Okay, so what are we going to do with all this? And as I thought about this, I'm thinking, I see so this all through the book of Nehemiah. 
And so I put together a little sentence that this is the message. This is our assignment from God. This is the message coming out of this book. Let me tell you, your assignment is only going to be birthed out of intimacy with God. If you say, I don't know my assignment, then you're not intimate enough with God. Everything is birthed out of intimacy. We're here because somebody got intimate, right? Everything's birthed out of intimacy, right? Now, this is what I put together. Whom Jehovah enlightens by his grace, he comforts. And we find ourselves in a place of his confidence, fully expecting the final outcome of the dream of restoration and abundance that he has planted in our hearts. Whom Jehovah enlightens, his grace comforts. And we find ourselves in the place of his confidence, not our confidence. Fully expecting, number 20 is the number of expectation, the final outcome of the dream of restoration, Lily, and abundance that he has planted in our hearts. We're going to see this all through the book of Nehemiah. We're going to see it all through the book of Nehemiah. And it's kind of like a preview of what to expect as we study this book. And I want to ask you, what has God placed in your hearts? What has God placed in your heart? Let's just get real natural. Maybe it's just financial freedom. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's salvation of family members. We talked about the family today. Maybe it's a restoration of relationship or ministry, business or life. Maybe it's restoration. Pastor Zach mentioned last week about dreams. So many had let go of their dreams. What dreams have you let go of? You can rebuild those. Nehemiah built the wall in 52 days, by the way. And I'm going to tell you in a moment what the dimensions of that wall was. Sometimes we think it might be like you go to Lowe's and you get these little garden things. You just kind of stick them in the ground, you know. That's not exactly what his wall was. Our nation is broken. Our nation is broken. Dreams of just rebuilding walls of dignity and honor to God in this nation should be on our hearts first and foremost. We should have dreams of our children going to school and not being scared and not thinking they're going through psychological damage because they're wearing masks and they're scared to death they're going to get breathe an air droplet of something. We should have the, the freedom and the dream that we can put our children in public higher education and not be fed a doctrination of, of demons, of of critical race theory and all this other mess that's going on in the schools, humanism. You see, everything starts with a vision. And we've got to have the ability to see. We've got to have the ability to see. There's a lot of need. See, there was a need for the walls to be rebuilt, but Nehemiah had to grab the vision before he could really answer the need. We can sit around all day and say, oh, there's a big need. Did you see beyond the need to what it can be? And in verse 3 and 4, it said, this is the report that Nehemiah got. He says, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. See, the Jews had been allowed to return to Jerusalem. They had rebuilt the temple, but they had not rebuilt the walls. And what is, it, what is it that the walls represent, especially with the city of God, especially Jerusalem? See, it's one thing to take somebody out of bondage. It's something else to get the bondage out of the person. It's one thing to take the children of Israel out of bondage and captivity to, back to Jerusalem. But see, the problem was they didn't get the bondage out of them. This is a problem we have today with so many people. 
we were working yesterday out in the yard a little bit and, and you know, we have a rescue dog, Callie. And uh, she's been with us now two and a half years. And she, like Molly now, has never had a, a painful moment in two and a half years. <laughs> like I said, we might run out of her favorite bone or something. That's about it. And so he picks up the hoe just to do, and she goes flying and hides under a bush. Somebody has hit her with a stick. And we've had her two and a half years. See, it's one thing to take somebody out of trauma. It's something else to get the trauma out of them. He had to put the hoe down. She comes cowing to him with her head down like that. It broke her heart. Well, this is a dog. Now, what about people? It's one thing to take somebody out of trauma. It's something else to get the trauma out of the person. And it's the same in all living creatures. So the people of Jerusalem or that were in Jerusalem had gone into freedom, but that the bondage was still in their lives. And the, the fact that the walls were down was a sign of loss of dignity. It was also a sign that of poverty and shame. And no walls means I'm open target for the devil, for the enemy. So when our walls are down, we're an open target for the enemy. Right? We have spiritual walls. See, many believers meet Christ, yet their lives look just as broken as they did before they met him. Many believers meet Christ, they truly pray, but they don't yet get out of their bondage and their walls are still broken. And many believers represent God as Christians, yet there's no real burden to rebuild the broken areas of their own lives. They think they just got to get out of hell free card. Instead of carrying the victory of Christ, they carry the marks of the one who so mistreated them. This is a disgrace to God and it's a dishonor to his name. So Nehemiah was moved by what moved God. Nehemiah was moved because Jerusalem was passionate for God. And God was passionate for Jerusalem. But we cannot be so apathetic that we no longer mourn over the injustices and the dishonors. That we no longer concerned about our brothers and our sisters who are still bearing the shame of the enemy. We cannot be so apathetic and, and inconsiderate and non-loving that it's not, a, it's not an issue for us. It doesn't matter to us. I want to ask this. Do we fast and pray and mourn for our nation? I know some of us do. What if all of the body of Christ today decided to fast and mourn for this nation? Do we do it for our schools? Do we do it for even our family members? Do we do it for our church? What is it that causes us to mourn? What causes us to cry? Let me tell you, what's happening in this nation is a dishonor to God. Say dishonor to God, what is happening in this. The greatest nation on the earth, founded on Christian principles prophetically declared to be a place that God's presence would would abide. But Nehemiah prayed, and, and Nehemiah saw the need. Do we see the need? I want to ask us. Do you see the need, whether it's our nation or your family? Do you see the need? God had enlightened. Remember I said God, what God enlightens, he comforts with his grace. The burden God gives you for something, he'll give you the grace to handle that burden. So Nehemiah saw the need and God enlightened Nehemiah to the need. And I want to ask you, can God trust us with what troubles his heart? Can God trust us? Would we care? You think it's a coincidence that Hananiah brought the report to Nehemiah? Is that a coincidence? I mean, he didn't have 
He didn't have Facebook. He didn't have the news. Somebody had to get the message. Was it just a coincidence? God knew that he could trust Nehemiah with the message. Let me tell you, when God puts a burden on your heart, you better know God is saying, I can trust you with this. What are you going to do with it? Don't just walk away and say, that's not my problem. They deserve what they got. Number two, Nehemiah was most comfortable where he was. He was a cupbearer. He had high rank in the king's palace. He could have said, I don't really need this at this point in my life. (laughs) Yeah. How many of us Christians have said, I don't really need this. I don't really need this. When God told us to go into Greensboro, our thought was, I'm thinking, God, do we really need this? That's what I thought. Do we really need this? Do we need another one of these to... But he made it real clear. This is your assignment. And he gives you grace to handle it. We've already found the person there. See how God God's working in the background. He's working in the background. Cupbearer, high ranking. Let me tell you what a cupbearer does. He drinks the drink of the king to make sure that no one has poisoned it. He is, is of the utmost trust for the king. Well, what did this lowly cupbearer do as a wall builder? The wall was two and a half miles in circumference. Well, that's not a big wall. Anybody should be able to do that. With 34 watchtowers and eight gates. The average height around the wall was 39 feet tall and eight feet thick. 39 feet tall and eight feet thick. This is just a little cupbearer. Probably never built a wall in his life. Let me tell you, sometimes God's going to call you out of what you're comfortable with to do what he's called you to do. If the God puts a burden in your heart, there's a reason for that. Instead of saying, well, I don't know how to do that, God. I've never built a wall. Let me just, let me just serve cups to the people that are building the wall. Number four, Nehemiah carried God's passion. He loved the city. Something the Lord spoke, and I don't know, remember the year, but I, was, I remember I was standing right here, and he said, when the pastors love Concord like Nehemiah loved Jerusalem, we're going to see transformation. When the pastors love this city like Nehemiah loved Jerusalem, we're going to see transformation. And then we see that Nehemiah prayed. Back to that little statement, when, whom Jehovah enlightens by his grace he comforts. And we find ourselves in a place of his confidence, fully expecting the final outcome of the dream of restoration and abundance as he's planted in our hearts. Whatever it is that God has planted, he's going to give you the grace to deal with it. And we have to move forward in confident expectation that it's going to come to pass, which means we've got to watch our mouth. We can't be saying one thing and doing something else. If you want deliverance from whatever you're in bondage to, you can't be speaking one thing and thinking something else. We see that a lot with sicknesses. So let's look at Nehemiah's prayer. This is his prayer strategy. Number one, five things. The first thing we have to do when we pray is recognize God's name and character. That's the first thing we have to do. Verse 5, he said, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, you who keep covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. The very first thing he did was acknowledge who God is. It reminded me back in Matthew 6 when the disciples said, Teach us to pray. What did Jesus say? First, pray like this, Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. That's the first thing he said. You've got to know who God is. 
You got to know his name. God is his name. And all through the Old Testament scripture, he'd reveal himself as Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rohi, Jehovah um, Sidkenu, Makedish. All of these, he revealed himself, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shammah. He said, I am my name. And if I say that I'm Jehovah Shalom to you, that's peace, and I am peace for you. And that's how we have to understand that God's name and his, it reveals his character and reveals who he is. Reveals who he is. The very first of the Ten Commandments says, do not take my name in vain. And we as a nation are so flippant about the name. Oh, my God. OMG. Why don't we say OMB? Oh, oh my Buddha. Or something like that. God's going to say something else, didn't you? Nehemiah understood who God was. And he understood his character. And he understood his faithfulness. We have to know God's name. Just some quick scriptures here on the importance of knowing God. I love this Jeremiah 9. Before the verse 24, it says, Don't boast in your beauty. Don't boast in your riches. Don't boast in your strength. But it says, You can boast in one thing, that you truly know me. You can boast in one thing that you truly know me. And that you understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. That I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken it. He says, if you want to boast in something, you don't have right to boast in anything except the fact that you know me. So if you're struggling in your body, do you know him as Jehovah Rapha? If you're struggling in your finances, do you know him as Jehovah Jireh? And you can't know him based on Lori's knowledge of God. Donna G can't say, oh God, I'm, the, I'm coming to you in the name of Lori's God, Jehovah Jireh. And he's going to say, what's wrong with me and you? You can know me just like Lori can know me. Psalm 91, 14 says, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Why? Because he knows my name. Daniel eleven thirty two. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. How many in here want to do exploits for God? Yes, we all do, right? Well, you got to know him to do exploits. You can't read a book and, and, and know it's, it's intimacy. See, believing in the word, I can, any, anybody can read that the devils believe, right? I can believe in the word, but I have to have a relationship to have faith in that word. I have a relationship in who God is, his faithfulness. So when he says, bring all your tithes and offerings, I could write that little check that I did 40-some years ago, not knowing if I could even hardly cover it, because God said, do it, and I knew I had faith in what he said, and he provided. Before the night was out, he returned that money to me. See, that's the kind of God we have. John 17, 3 says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you. This Jesus was speaking. This is eternal life, they may know you, the only true God in, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the first thing we have to do is we have to know who God is. So that, that takes, what does it take to get to know a person? Being in their presence, time, right? You don't get born again one minute and then the next day, oh, I know God real good. That's not going to happen. Now, God makes up for that, I believe. I believe he kind of overkills a little for a while. We get a chance to catch up with him, you know. So number two, what's the number two thing, strategy for Nehemiah? And that was that he confessed sin. Verse 6 says, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that you have sin- that I- we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, and the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. 
So we have to confess our sin. Confession is acknowledgement of sin. Now I'm going to ruffle a few theological pillows here. Confession and repentance are two different things. I can confess that I stole the cookie out of the cookie jar. But I'm going to do it again unless I repent. I'm just sorry I got caught, right? I don't believe for a minute anywhere in Scripture it tells me that I can repent for my mother's sin. I don't see it. Daniel confessed the sins of the fathers. Nehemiah confessed the sins of the fathers. He did not repent. We confess this, I confess the sins of our nation. What do we, we've got to change in turn and go in another direction. Now, I do believe, and this is really another study for another time. Back in Exodus, it says that the influences of the father can visit us to the third and the fourth generation. So we have to break off those familiar spirits that can influence us in certain directions. But I can't repent for Terry's sins. Only he can. But I can sure confess them to God. <laughs> Just teasing. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. But then we have to turn and go in another direction. Right? Proverbs 28.13 People who conceal their sins will not prosper but if they confess and turn from them two separate things. The word for confession and repentance are two different words in the Hebrew by the way. If they confess and turn from them they will receive mercy. We okay on all that? So confession must lead to repentance. Confession means to agree with God on his assessment of our actions and thoughts and to name our sin to God. That's confession. Confession is not pleading for forgiveness. Jesus forgives confessed sin. 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me. Right? Confession must lead to a turning away from the sinful behavior. Jesus forgives, we confess, we repent, we turn away from the confessed sin. Cheap grace is preaching confession of sin without repentance. That's Diedrich Bonhoeffer. So we have to acknowledge who God is. And number two, we have to confess our sin. Now, thank God for Holy Spirit. He convicts, but he also empowers that we can walk in a direction different than the sin that we have or confessing, Right? So if you're if you caught up in a sin and you just you confess your sin, you need to say, God, I need your Holy Spirit. I need that power of God in my life to help me to turn away from that and to walk in another way and not be sucked up again in life by that sin, that bondage, whatever that might be. Number three, Nehemiah remembered his covenant. We have to remember our covenant. That's why it's so important to know the word of God. Verses 8 says, 9 says, Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I'll bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. So we remember what the word of God says. Psalm eighty-nine thirty-four says, My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. What is God's promise to you? Hebrews 8, 6, but now Jesus, our high priest, has given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. 
Why? Because we don't have a human priest who's subject to the frailties of the flesh. We have a far greater high priest and with a, who secures the promises for God that are better than the old covenant. I love 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, For as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes in Christ. See, God's covenant is his word. Do we know his word? Do we know his word? If we don't know his word, then we're going to hear things like, well, if it's God's will. We should never say that. It should never come out of our mouth. You know, I was praying for somebody yesterday, and they said, well, if it's God's will, I'm going to tell you right now, it's God's will, this person not die. Get that out of your head. So we start praying, and that person is alive today. You take all that doubt and fear and unbelief into a room where they've said, we don't know if they're going to make it through. Well, I don't know if it's God's will. Don't tell me it's God's will for a 46-year-old person to die. It's not God's will. We've got to do battle on behalf of, of that person instead of just, you know, that's, that's religion. Is it God's will for you to prosper? I'm talking to believers now, by the way. Believers. I don't know about unbelievers. That's between them and God. But for believers, we have the promise of the covenant. Is it God's will for you to prosper? Yes. Yes. Either that or he's schizophrenic when he's, I'm the Lord God who teaches you to prosper. What do you mean, God? Well, you said you were. Well, it must be God's will for me to be poor. Poverty is a curse last time I looked. How many poor people are going to further the gospel? How many people can send Bruce Latibu the money to get kids and people out of uh, Afghanistan if you're poverty stricken? You can't even pay your bills. I'd love to send it to you, Bruce, but I've got to keep my power on. We should be living better than that. You know, we should, be, we should be jumping on opportunities to help with these ministries that are doing things that, that for the furtherance of the kingdom. Church should be beyond that. Right. I want to ask you, what has God said to you? What are God's promises for you? Now, the other thing is, I know God does not violate somebody's will. But we can sure pray that God will put the heat on them, can't we? I don't pray that anymore. I just say, God, your promise to me and my house, my family is that my family will be saved. It's up to God how he does it. I used to want to tell him how to do it. And he told me that right off the bat that I was not quite as smart as he was. (laughs) And he's right. What has God promised the believer for his family? You and your household will be saved. He took a picture of this slide. It's on your notes anyway. When they all get it. What about his finances? God teaches you to prosper. All these scriptures. I've just given you a few of these. How about your health? He heals all your diseases. First Peter 2, 24, Psalm 103, 3. That's God's promise. I heal all your diseases. What about peace? He'll keep us in peace if our minds are stayed on him. It should be a him, not a his. If our minds are stayed on him, he will keep us in perfect peace. Not Fox News, not CNN, not MSNBC, not who's sitting in the White House. It don't matter. How about wisdom? God, I need your wisdom. James 1.5 says you ask and you'll receive. How about protection, authority over the enemy, Luke 10, 19. How about Psalm 91? These are things that should be coming out of our mouth. We speak what the word says, not what we see. God's covenant was ratified by Jesus for us. And as we are in him, all the promises belong to us as we are in him. 
It's so important to be in relationship with Christ. So important. Number four. You got that? Oh, okay. Did you get it? This is on the website, by the way. The notes are up there. Number four, we have to ask according to God's revealed will. Now, what is his revealed will? His word. But he also speaks to us. But he never violates his word. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. God had enlightened Nehemiah on the condition of Jerusalem, and Nehemiah was now on God's assignment. Nehemiah had to know that I've got, I've got orders from God. I'm going to ask according to his revealed will to me. Now, let me tell you, Nehemiah spent four months praying. He started in Kislev, ended up in Nisan. Nisan, by the way, means miracle. Coincidence, right? It means miracle. He gets four months to the month of miracle. We're going to talk, I'm jumping ahead of myself. But so you got to know what God's revealed will is for you, for your ministry, for your family. His word is a great place to start. It's a great place to start. First John five fourteen, and you know I quote this all the time to us, and we are confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our request, we also know He will give us that that we ask for. Okay, how do we know the will? Let's go back to Romans 8. I've said this so many times because I use it all the time. When we realize we're not as smart as God and he's given to us the ability to pray in the spirit and pray the perfect will of God, we're going to see things change in our life. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you don't know how to pray, pray in the spirit. And the Bible tells us because we're praying the will of God, he hears us and he is going to give us what we've asked for. And if you do know how to pray, pray in the spirit. That's right. We're on assignment from God. I keep wanting to say it. we're on assignment from God with our families. You ever get awakened, and I know most of you do, many of you do, at 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning, and you've got these grandbabies on your mind. You just want to go snatch them up, or maybe children. And I've said many times, God, I don't know how to pray. I'm just going to pray in the Spirit. And I have such peace because I know I'm praying the perfect will of God. I know he's in charge. I know he's going to do it because I'm letting him do what he's supposed to be doing instead of interfering with him. And we can do that. Too, too often we ask not according to the will of God, but to our own soulish prayers soulish prayers we try to manipulate god god get you know our son's up for promotion i don't know if he's listened to me tonight and he did an interview and i said god chris it's wonderful but if it's not god's plan for you we want it to god's will for you because he knows the end from the beginning he said now he can bless you regardless of whatever that is but we want you to be where god wants you to be and i think god's got a calling on his life far greater than anything he's doing today and if you're hearing that that's a word from the lord for you so He may be at his own church. I'll probably get a text in a minute. But let me tell you, sometimes we have to just let go and let God. God, I don't know what your desire is for us. I don't know what your desire is for our family, our business, our ministry, our church. I just know, God, that you know what's best. And I am saying, according to your will, be it done. Let it be done. And then resting in God. Instead of giving him our our little list and saying, God, wave your magic wand and make everything good now. 
I don't see that in scripture. And the last thing is, trust God's timing. That's the hardest thing to do. But God, that sale's going off Monday, and if you don't act... Anybody ever done that before? I love what Miss Robbins used to say. There'll be sales till Jesus comes. It's amazing to me how many sales get extended. <laughs> well, you got to make the decision right now because the sale's going off uh, tonight at 7 o'clock. Then you go back Monday. Well, we're going to do it just for you. You ever seen one of those? we got to know God's timing. Nehemiah 2, and it says, Early the following spring, the month of Nisan, that's the, ni- the first month of the ecclesiastical year during the 20th year of king artaxerxes reign i was now this he's been praying all this time fasting and mourning and praying probably wondering when am i going to go when am i going to go when am i going to go how's god going to make a way i was serving the king as wine and i had never before appeared sad in his presence so the king asked me why are you looking so sad you don't look sick to me you must be deeply troubled then i was terrified but i replied Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven. See, I said, God, help me here. I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah, rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. He knew that was his assignment. But see, he had to get out from under his earthly assignment to handle his spiritual assignment. We have to know the timing of God. We have to know the timing of God. Nehemiah fasted, he prayed, he waited. We pray, we listen, we act. We pray, we listen, we act. God's miracle always has an appointed time. His miracle always has, and he's always working in the background. Does that amaze you? We we just finished reading the book of Esther, remember that? And what happened? King Xerxes couldn't sleep one day. Now Haman's already decided he's going to kill Mordecai. So the king couldn't sleep. Just happened he couldn't sleep. And it just happened he decided to read the history book of his reign. And it just happened that he read where Mordecai had protected his life from a plot of assassination. And so it just happened that he brings Mordecai in and reverses the whole plan of Haman. God is always working in the background. Always working in the background, orchestrating events to bring about his, all things work together for good to those who were called. Then verse 7 says, I also said to the king, if it pleased the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through the territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Now let me ask you something. Four months, he's, he's not just praying and mourning. He's processing. He's planning. He's called on the carpet before the king. And just like that, he rattles off what he needs. You see, we're always planning. We're always processing God, but we've got to know the right timing. Nehemiah had processed his needs and he was prepared for the right time. Success is when preparation and opportunity meet. If he had just sat around and kind of moaned and groaned and thought, well, God will let me know what he wants me to do or the king will give me that. No, he went around, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this and said, God, the king gave him everything he asked for. 
See, we've got to be on the job, right? We've got to have our minds on what we've got to recognize and move during opportune moments. We need to have that Issachar anointing that we know the times and the seasons that we are in. If you ever need an Issachar anointing, you need it today. You know, last year we were hearing from God, your Goshen people. We were hearing that you're in a Joseph season of prosperity. Is anybody else prospered there in the last year? Yeah. We should have all prospered. We've opened three offices and started to build uh, another business in 12, 15 months. Three new offices and another business during COVID. That's amazing. And I'm sitting here saying, God, are you sure this is the right time? (laughs) Nehemiah received everything he needed for the assignment. Let me tell you, when we moved, started in the Greensboro, we've been applying, we've been putting in the Indeed for clinicians because I've told you we just need more clinicians. Concord, we just didn't. I mean, nobody was applying. Well, a few people were, but I mean, it wasn't our DNA. I said, let's just use this as a test since we're not getting too many hot strikes in Concord, even though we're growing like crazy. We're just working our people to death, I guess. I said, so if we get a response, we'll know that maybe God's in this thing. So he puts an Indeed ad up in Greensboro. Within two hours, he has four responses. Within two hours, he has four responses, and we already hired one of those qualified people. I said, well, I guess God wants us in Greensboro. This is how God moves. He's working in the background all the time, always working in the background. And we've since brought on some more people in Concord now. God is providing your own assignment, your own assignment you will stand. I'm just going to review these prayer strategies. This will work for you for everything you do. Everything, every prayer you have, every situation you have, this will work for you. You just put them all up. You got to know the character of God through his name. Who are you calling on? God, you're Jehovah Jireh because you promised us. You promised us you would make provision. God, you're Jehovah Nisi, you put your banner of protection around us. You protect us from the enemy. Number two, we've got to confess all sin. And most of the sin that we have to deal with is self-sin. That it's all about me. God ripped us about that too. I tell you, if you're in business, you know, the thing in business is the more, the bigger you are, the, you know, the little crown, you know, those little, whatever you call them, crowns, uh, thorns in your, or no, crowns on your head or whatever. Feathers in your cap. That's what I'm looking for. Feathers in your cap. God lets you know real quick it's not about you at all. It's all about him. And the minute you make it about you, forget it. It's gone. You can't possibly do what God needs to be done to accomplish his purposes through you. You're on assignment, but you're on his assignment, not your assignment. Never forget that. You're on his assignment. Three, you've got to remember his promise. You've got to remember his promise. Whatever your need is, there's a promise and there's an answer in the Word of God for it. And that promise is truth. His Word is truth, John 17 tells us. And then we ask according to the revealed will of God. Number one, it always agrees with His Word. Number two, are we hearing what He's saying? He'll wake you up in the wee hours of the night to give you direction if you're going off course. He loves you that much. It's to his benefit for you to accomplish his assignment. 
And then five, you've got to trust his timing. You've got to trust his timing. Just trusting God, isn't it? Nehemiah got his answer in the month of miracle. Your month of miracle could be today. We're in Elul right now, as a matter of fact, where the king is in the field. This is the month where we, the month of Elul is the month that we kind of go down in deep inside and we just kind of, you know, we, we search ourselves and we, we just kind of see where we are and where we're going. Because next month is the first year, first month of the year for the civil calendar, right? Rosh Hashanah's next month. So we are reflecting on where we've been, but we're also reflecting on where we're going. That's what I love these Hebrew months. God is so good. The Jewish calendar, yeah. How many of you need a prayer strategy? How many of you need a strategy? Just two people need a strategy. I want you to come up if you if you want if you just need something from God. If you need a strategy, let me tell you, there's plenty. Next week we're going to look at Nehemiah's strategy for warfare. When's your surgery? Tomorrow we're going to pray for that healing. Yes. We've had several people with knee surgeries, knee replacements. Wow, this is good. I'm right here with you, man. I'm, I, I get concerned. The only concern I really have is that I'm not going to hear. God, what if I miss you? And he says, I'll find you. That's what he tells me. I'll find you. We get all caught. The devil wants to put fear in you, doesn't he? You're not going to hear right? You're not hearing God. I tell you, if God can wake me up and say, contend for the faith, I believe God can tell me the next direction to take, don't you? And same for each of you. God's no respecter. You don't need a middleman to go through. Well, you do have one middleman, that's Jesus. He's the only middleman we need. But we need we need God's strategy. Isaiah 9, 6 says that Jesus is wonderful counselor. If you look at that in the Hebrew, it's really extraordinary strategist extraordinary strategist he is our extraordinary strategist he has a strategy to get you from point A to point B but between the two there's a thing called the process there's a thing called the cross and are you willing to take up your cross to get where God wants you are you willing to end up in a place that maybe you didn't think you would ever end up God that's not what I planned I know, but that's what I planned because he knit us together in Psalm 139. God will put you in places you never thought you would ever be or that you wanted to be. But you know what? When you realize it's God's assignment, you're so excited about it because it's going to be it's such a great thing. It's such a great thing. So, Pastor Dan, you got us. I want you just to... Just to Speak to God. Just speak to God. Ask Him. God. He says, if you lack wisdom, call on me. I'll give I'll give to you liberally. He said, Call on me and I'm gonna show you great and mighty things you have no knowledge of. 
He knows where he wants you tomorrow. I love what Creflo Dollar said one time. He said, God's got a million different ways to get you out of debt by Friday. But are we listening and are we hearing? Thank you, God. Let's just sing this chorus, The Victory is Yours. The victory is yours, you're riding on the storm. Your name is unfailing, though kingdoms rise and fall, your throne withstands it all. Your name is unshaken. The victory is yours, you're riding on the storm. Your name is unfailing, though kingdoms rise and fall, your throne withstands it all. Your name is unshaken. The victory is yours, you're riding on the storm. Your name is unfailing, though kingdoms rise and fall, your throne withstands it all. Your name is unshaken. The victory is yours, you're riding on the storm. Your name is unfailing, though kingdoms rise and fall, your throne withstands it all. Your name is unshaken. Let me tell you, many times you have to give up whatever it is you're holding on to in order to get it back. You have to give it up to get it back. So many times we hold on to these things, they become our idols and our, you know, our source of security. You got to be willing to let it all go. And then maybe God will give it back to you. Maybe he'll give you something else. But you got to let it go first. Thinking about the process when God speaks to you between the moment He speaks to the moment of application, there's a process. The process is the most painful part, and it's where we usually abort God's plan for our lives because we don't we're impatient and we want to circumvent what God wants that wants to really do. So we insert what we think God wants us to do, and it usually fails or has minimal success. I remember last year when you heard, we live in the land of Goshen. That was like March or something. Now, that's when COVID, the fear, launched in March. And Donna's here, and we're in the land of Goshen. The whole world's going to hell mentally and emotionally. Everything's falling apart. And then it gets worse. In April, on a Wednesday night when we did the live things, the Holy Spirit told me, pray. And when you pray... Listen 
to what I'm going to tell you. He didn't say he would tell me then. He said, just listen. And then he said, when I speak, act and do exactly what I say. So we're talking March, April, and we're just abiding by this and believe and pray, listen, act. We're in the land of Goshen. Things are getting considerably worse in the nation. We're exploding with mental health. I mean, it's out of control. I mean, God's blessing in the midst of chaos because of what's happening. But nothing had really changed other than that. Suddenly in August, as I said the other week, a man gave us his practice. He was retiring. Hallelujah. We're living in the land of Goshen. We moved into the office a week later. The entire building flooded. Everything was destroyed. Including his medical files. Everything destroyed. Well, we didn't, oh God, what happened? No, we just moved somewhere else for a couple of three months and rented an office and just kept going because God has promised you something. Circumstances do not matter. Okay, they don't matter. There's there's in, interference by the enemy and life, but we have to go through those obstacles. And we continue this day. Let me tell you one thing. One of the reasons we tell you this, it's not, it's not about anything. It's about God. But if it's not working for us, how do you think it's going to work for you? If we're up here every Sunday talking about how bad it is, we can hardly make it. How, how are you having any confidence it's ever going to work for you? You know, and so this is one of the reasons we, we get so excited about what God is doing. And we don't know what next week. Every week we wonder, what's this week going to bring? We have no idea. But let me tell you, if it works for any one of us, it'll work for the others. God's word is truth. His word is truth. And, and like you said, circumstances don't matter with God. If you will just allow God to be God, give up all, quit self-sabotaging yourself. We do that. We self-sabotage ourselves. We do that by trying to figure it out, trying to tell God how we're going to do it, trying to work it out. God, now you do this, this, and this, and everything's going to be wonderful. And he said, well, that's not even, that's going to lead you down a wrong way. Too many believers self-sabotage the plans that God gives them because they won't let go and let God be God and do it the way he wants to do it and the route he wants to do. God's got tremendous blessings for everyone. I want to pray over everybody. And then Lori's got something she wants to say, but I want to pray over you guys. There's no quick fixes. There's no magic wand. You know, there's, there's nothing except work. See, there's no victory without working and warring. There's no crown without the cross. Remember those things. There's no victory without work and working. There's no open door without opposition. But don't let it be your own stupidity. I mean, you're saying, well, I need need finances, but I don't work. Why don't you work? Well, you know, I can't get up in the morning and back's hurting. Well... Hello? That's stupidity. That'd be in the stupid column. We have groups called stupid groups. We don't call them that, but that's what they are. So God, I thank you, Lord, for your people. I thank you for so many assignments that are that are embedded in the lives of every person standing here. God, you know the plans you have for them. Christian Thomas, God knows the plans he has for you. 
and his plans for good, his plans for welfare. Let go and let him be the one to draw out the blueprint of your life. Thank you, God. And we, we bind the power of the enemy. We cancel every assignment of the enemy against your people. And God, we're going to see in Nehemiah's life that he would not come down off the wall. He never came off his assignment. That's the key to success. There's going to be those that are going to try to pull you away and pull you this way and pull you that way. Don't come down off the wall. Know your assignment. Stick with your assignment. Be able to hear the voice of the Lord and listen and then act. Thank you, God. Give us ears to hear. God, I pray you you would reveal to us the thrones that are on our heart that are not of you. The idols that are in our heart that are not of you, God. God, we see a powerful lesson in Nehemiah. The Lord, in those four months, Lord, you gave him a strategy. You told him exactly what he needed. That didn't just pop up automatically. You told him, God. He was pursuing you. He was seeking your face. He was mourning. He was fasting for your program, your benefit, your assignment. Thank you, God, that you make provision. God, I pray there's something here today that their minds are cloudy on what your call is for their life. I pray, I thank you, God, I just see Holy Spirit blowing that cloud away. But let me tell you, when he makes it clear, it may not be easy. It's usually never easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. If it was easy, you go back through the scripture, you never see a call God places on anybody this easy. Never. I was just thinking, you might be thinking, well, well, Terry, God spoke that to you to pray, listen, and act. He didn't tell me that. Well, he didn't give me the rights to patent that, okay? That's not my statement. I believe he gave it to Nehemiah. Pray, listen, then now build the wall. Now go. So God wants to do the same thing. Thing for everybody in here pray listen for holy spirit to give you insight he will tell you exactly what to do exactly and then just go do it and watch what happens i'll tell you another thing we're going to talk about this next week sometimes we talk too much you remember when nehemiah goes into jerusalem he gets up in the middle of the night and what does they say he went through jerusalem and i told nobody what my god had placed in my heart to do too often it's on Facebook, you know, we'll just get an inkling and it's on Facebook and, you know, on Instagram and all this other. We got a TikTok video telling everybody what we're doing. You know, and, and Nehemiah said, I told nobody what my God had placed in my heart to do. Let me tell you, the devil has ears too. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-knowing. But we sure, he's on Facebook. He's got an account. We want to pray, we want to pray for you, Ron, too. I just wanted to share something from a teaching that I heard this week that goes along with what Donna and Terry said. Um, There are no problems in the kingdom. There are only possibilities. And when you pray, thinking that there are possibilities, there's a promise for that possibility. And in that promise is the provision for that possibility. So when you come up against something... Okay, don't look at it as a problem. Say, God, this is a possibility for you to be redemptive because God's a redeemer. So he wants to redeem in every situation. So this is a possibility for you. Where's, you know, claim the promise and in the promise, you'll see the provision. Yes, amen. It's been helping me. Always provision for the vision. Mike, do you need prayer? You need prayer. 
you look like you were hurting. I just want to make sure you're okay. Okay. But, uh, yeah, Ron and Dr. Bill and Terry, I know anybody else had knee replacements in here? Okay, come on. I want you guys to pray for Ron for his surgery tomorrow. There's oil. Guys, get around. Father God, we are so thankful that we are your sons and daughters and that we have a covenant with you that's based on the shed blood of Jesus. We get to get in on that covenant because it's you, Jesus, and with the Father, and it cannot be broken. And part of that covenant is you are Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. You are the great I am. All that we could ever need, you are the supplier and the answer for. And you do it abundantly. And we just ask for a special measure of grace and favor and peace for my brother Ron as he goes through the surgery tomorrow. We ask that you would guide and direct the hands of the surgeon. You would guide and direct the hands of every nurse that's going to be taking care of him, of the anesthesiologist. And we put angels in that operating room to guard and protect him from any scheme of the enemy. We just cancel any scheme of the enemy for complications or whatever. They will not occur. The result of this operation will be perfect, and he will walk in newness of life with you. Thank you, Lord. We just put all our faith and hope and trust in you because you are the one who supplies that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Just bless Ron in a special way. I want to, uh, while they were praying, something else came to mind, and that is we have to know the difference between God saying no and the devil throwing up a roadblock. Big difference. You got to know the difference because you can say, you can hear God saying no and you'll plow through it saying it's the devil, or the devil can put up a roadblock and you'll say, in the name of Jesus, I'm not taking that. Or, you know, you shouldn't take that. But there's, pro, there's always vision for, provision for the vision. If God gave you the vision, He gives you the provision. And I've got to go back and research this, but I believe that word ROI in the Hebrew is in that, in that word for vision. God is for the vision if he gave you the vision. That's what provision means. God is for the vision he gave you. But you've got to know when God is saying no and when the devil is interfering. And you only know that as you have relationship and you seek God in prayer. It's important.